Hello everyone, my name is Magdalena and I'm a grateful member of Alanon. I want to thank Teresa for asking me to speak two years ago. I was at the Alanon Convention, uh, International Convention, so I had to decline last year, but it's so great that she invited me to be here uh, this year and, and I'm just uh, grateful to be here. And I want to uh, thank Angelica. Great job, Angelica. <laughs> great job. You know, she picked us up from the airport yesterday, and then she told me that she was looking for somebody to replace her. And I said, why? You know, Alanon says that if we don't face our fears, we'll never overcome them. So you'll be great, and it'll be easier next time. And so I'm glad she did. <laughs> It's great to see old friends like Bill, Deb, uh, meet new friends, my good friend Lee over there, who's going to give me a sign. My gosh, two weeks ago I spoke somewhere and I, over, I went over 15 minutes. I, you know, I beat myself up for two days. It was so bad. They were, you know, the people that asked me to share, you know, I think they were a little upset, but I was even more upset with me because <laughs> that's how we are. We beat ourselves more than anybody at home. He's going to give me a sign this time. <laughs> okay, what it was like, what happened, and how it is today. I am from Mexico, from Ensenada, um, Baja California. It's a drinking town. Everybody drinks. Everybody gets high. It's pretty normal. You know, <laughs> I didn't know that was a problem. You know, when I, um, the first, the first alcoholic that I met is my father. He's still drinking until this day. I think he's about 77 years old, and, and I went to see him about a month ago, and he was drunk. You know, so if nothing changes, nothing changes. He, he continues to be in that lifestyle, and that's okay. That's where he needs to be. Uh, he, um, my parents met when, when they were about 15, 16 years old. Uh, they, um, I am the oldest daughter of six, six, we're six girls, I am the oldest. My father always wanted to have a, a boy, and I was born. <laughs> so he named, him af he named me after his father. His name was Magdaleno, so they just changed the O to an A, you know. And, um, and, and so I, I remember... Um, they, nobody ever talked about my grandfather, and I asked my mom, Mom, how, how come nobody ever talks about my grandfather? And she said, well, because he was crazy. And I asked her, well, what was wrong with him? And she said, well, he drank too much. And then, so the story goes that they didn't know what to do with my grandfather back in those days in Mexico. I, I guess he must have been violent. I don't know. But they built a box in the backyard, and they threw my grandfather in there. <laughs> yeah. And they had a little door like this, you know, and they fed him through that little door, you know, until he died. You know, that was a cure for alcoholism in Mexico back in those days. You know, it's against the law, ladies, don't get that, any idea? <laughs> and so my father was his only friend, and so my father started drinking with his father when he was about eight years old, so when they met, they, my father was already an alcoholic or a problem drinking. Um, my father is about 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, uh, 
big belly, big head, really ugly. And then my mom is 5'11", like I am, you know, light complexion. She's beautiful. And I thought, you know, what is she doing with this ugly guy? He's so ugly. But she just kept having kids, you know. And, uh, and I asked my mom, you know, why don't you just pick something, mom? You know? she, and she said, well, I don't want to go to hell. Um, and back in the days, uh, the Pope, you know, she went to the Catholic church and the Pope had said that it wasn't a good idea for women to take birth control because they were going to go to hell. So my mom didn't want to go to hell, but what she didn't know is that she was already in hell living with this ugly guy, you know, <laughs> who drank every single day. And, and on top of that, he was always dating other women and I just couldn't understand because he's so ugly. You know, but, but, you know, later on I learned that alcoholics are good talkers, and so my father's a good talker, so he always had a woman on the side, and, and so my mom kept having kids, and, um, and every time my child was born, my father would say, oh, another prostitute, another prostitute. So we grew up, I grew up thinking that I was a prostitute, and, and then, um, in every morning, my, you know, have always been tall and thin, always since I remember, and, and um, every morning, my father will tell me in the morning, Larguchona, which is something ugly and long. He will say, Larguchona, get up and go sweep the floor. And, and, uh, or go get me a bottle of tequila. And I remember being a little girl, six, seven years old, and, and going to the liquor store and getting him a big bottle of tequila. And on the way back, I'd be thinking, you know, I haven't, I can't remember the last time I had milk. And my father is always drinking, and then he, sometimes he puts soda on his alcohol. And so I remember I would get home and tell my father, you know, I can't remember the last time I had milk, and, and, and you're always drinking. All of it is beans and tortillas every single day. So my father used to get very upset and put this little leather belt he would just hit me with the bell, just hit me. He was very angry. He was a very angry man. Or he's, he is, he's still alive. And so I remember putting my, my skinny little arms up, trying to protect my face so he wouldn't hit me. But then I had belt marks all over myself, all over myself. And, um, and I would go to school like that. And, and the kids, because I have always been really tall and thin, the kids didn't want to play with me. Most Mexicans are short and a little shabby. You know, they're cute. And here I'm tall and skinny. And, and so the kids would say, you know, God, look at you. We don't want to play with you. You know, you're strange. And, and look at you. Your dad beat you up again. And then you smell like beans. And <laughs> I did because we didn't even have a toothbrush, you know. So anyways, uh, so kids didn't want to play with me. My father told me every single day that, that I, I, you know, that I was a prostitute. I was named after this, this man who, who, who was crazy. Then I went to the church where, uh, you know, my name is Mary Magdalene. So I, I was named after this bad woman. And, and, and so anyways, she wasn't a bad woman. <laughs> She was a great woman that made history, and I am honored to have that name today. You know, so, thank you. Um, then um, my father will also say, Larguchona, get up and sweep the floor. And I 
always hated my father. He was just a monster in the home. And, and, and so I would look at him and say, why it's a dirt floor? You know, I didn't make sense to me. Why should we use sweep a dirt floor? My father also didn't believe that women should go to school. So in order for me to go to school, I had to sneak out of the house. And, and so, you know, when I remember going to school, I'd be thinking, uh, am I going to, you know, while I was reading the, the notebooks, I, w- I will be thinking, is, is there going to be any food tonight? Am I, am I going to get beat up? I, do I have to go gather wood so I can, so we can have something, you know, um, for my mom to cook? And, and so I remember just looking at those letters and those letters would just jump, you know, and I just did not learn anything, nothing. I was this tall, um, person that, uh, you know, according to my father, I was a prostitute. I, I shouldn't go to school. I should be selling food on the streets. And, and I just was not learning anything. So I stayed back in third grade three times. And I was just this walking dumb woman, you know, according to him. And, and I, that's the way I felt. So, um, but in the, on the other side, you know, thank God for Al-Anon. Thank God that it allows us to see what was good and what was bad. Not everything was bad. I, I had these wonderful grandparents. My grandparents just loved me. I, w- I was their favorite granddaughter, and every time they saw me, they told me, you're our favorite granddaughter, we love you. And so I used to spend time with my, a lot of time with my grandparents, and I remember talking with my grandmother, and she was just so wonderful and loving, and she just hugged me, and, and we used to go, you know, to the store and, and sing lullabies, and then once she gathered everything that she needed to cook, she will, you know, cook and then uh, make flour tortillas, and then I will put butter on the flour tortillas and just eat those tortillas, and they were so so delicious, and, and then I would go next room, and there was my grandfather, and my grandfather, I always thought that he was such an intelligent man, you know, my father read a lot, grandfather, he, he had a lot of books, and I remember, you know, sitting on his laps, and he would read books to me, and, and, then, uh, and, and then he would tell me stories of places that he went to, they would, he would talk to me in Japanese and Chinese, he told me he traveled all over the world, and I just love my grandfather. You know, but while I was sitting on his laps, I was helping him clean the seats out of the marijuana. And then I will help him. <laughs> I will help him roll the joints, you know. <laughs> and, and so he, my grandfather would light up a joint, you know, and he would say, here, you want to take a hit? And then I would tell my grandpa, oh, no, grandpa, that stinks, you know. So watching my father you know, falling out drunk, beating us up, and, and every once in a while he didn't pay the bill at the bar, so he would get beat up and come home. And, uh, and anyways, uh, and watching my grandfather never take a shower because I guess he was too lazy because he was high. You know, I've never been drunk in my or high in my life. You know, never been drunk. So, and I think I think I had been in Al-Anon for about five years. When, uh, you know, our denial is so thick, so thick that I just thought that my grandfather was so smart. But I think that when he was talking to me in Japanese and Chinese, I think he was high, you know. (laughs) I later learned that marijuana makes people lazy, you know, so I don't think he ever went anywhere. That's okay. 
When I started dating, I didn't want any, anything to do with, with alcoholics. You know. But if they were addicts, of course, they were higher class. You know, they, yeah, there was a lot of love. And, and so one time my, my father came home and he told my mom, you know that I'm seeing somebody else. You know, she's much younger than you. You need to leave and take your five kids with you. I don't love you no more. And my mom started looking for work, and, and, but who was going to hire her? She was in her middle 20s and had five kids, and she had a sixth-grade education. And so she started looking for work, and, and, and because you know who, nobody will hire her. There's no jobs in Mexico. And somebody offered her a job in the U.S. as, as a nanny, and, and my mom said, would you stay and take care of your sisters while I, I go and, and, and work in the U.S.? And I said, sure, Mom, I will. And I was 15 years old, and that's when I became the mother of my sisters. My mom moved to the U.S., and, and, uh, and she started sending a little bit of more money, and we were able to eat better. And, but what happened was that when my father, when my mother was away, my father, I didn't know that alcoholism was a progressive disease. I didn't know my father was sick and getting sicker by the minute. And, and so when my father, when my mom was gone, my father started looking at us like we were women and no longer his daughter. So he started touching my sisters in a way a father should never touch his daughters. And he started spying on me when I was getting undressed. And I wrote to my mom and I said, Mom, this is going on and and she knew because she had tried to stop him in the past. And, and um, but she, you know she wasn't capable. She just stayed there. And and so I wrote to my mom and I said, "This is what's going on." And she said, "Well, if you want to come and and live with me in the U.S., you you have to you know you have to come to work and and uh, and not go to school." And then I said, "Mom, I stayed back in third grade three times. You know, I just can't learn." And and so I. So I came like most Mexicans do. I jumped the, the fence and came to work. You know? <laughs> and I went to work at a, at a farm, in, at a chicken farm. And, and, um, and at this chicken farm, there was rows and rows and rows of chickens. And every row, there was about, uh, there was a lot of wire boxes, you know. So there was a wire box like this. And there was about 20 chickens in each wire box. And... And under the wire box, there was a chicken poop. And every time immigration came to take the illegal aliens back to Mexico, you know, some of us, uh, some of them will, will run up the hill to hide, and some of us will hide in the chicken poop. And I was one of those who hid in the chicken poop. And I remember, you know, when you're sitting in the chicken poop, you know, There's a lot of worms, there's bugs, and they all stick to your skin. You know, the chicken poop also sticks to your skin. It, and it's really creamy, you know, I don't know if you touch chicken poop, but it's creamy and it just sticks to your skin. So I remember sitting there and thinking, please don't find me because I don't want to go away. Uh, I don't want to go to Mexico. I don't want to go back to the monster. You know, I want to stay here with my mom. And, and so when I didn't hear any noise, I'd just be sitting there. When I didn't hear any noise, I, will, I, I remember thinking, oh, thank God, you know. And I will come out and, and uh, try to clean myself off and, and think, you know, I'm nothing. 
I'm nothing. I don't even exist in this in this country. I, uh, you know, I had a lot of acne and I had no friends and and uh, I was, you know, nothing. I, I was the reject of this world. And and so I asked my mom. I said, Mom, can I go to school? And and she said, I said I have no friends. I don't speak. English. I just want to go to school. And, and she said, well, you can go to school, to night school, but you can't stop working. And I said, sure, mom, I, I will do that. So I went to night school, and that's where I saw the most gorgeous guy in the universe. There he was. He was tall, thin, long hair. And I saw him. And, and when I saw him, I just fell in love with him. And, and, uh, and I remember this guy, you know, he was so attractive, so attractive. And, and, and he had a lot of friends. And when he moved, you know, he moved like this, and the whole world moved with him, you know. <laughs> and then I looked at myself, and I said, my gosh, he'll never look at me. And then those old tapes, you know, those old tapes that stay with me, you're stupid, you're too tall, you're too skinny, you're too dark, you know, all those, all those things that my father had told me I was, I, I became, and I, and I really thought that I, that I was that. And so I looked at him and, and I said, he'll never look at me. And then, you know, and Alan and I have learned that, you know, step two talks about asking God to return us to sanity. My sponsor said, Magdalena, when an alcoholic is talking about, you know, is, is talking to another person about how, how, you know, saying negative things about the person, it's really they're only talking about themselves. Our literature says that if a person feels good about themselves, they don't tell somebody that they're stupid. You know, they don't tell somebody that they're a prostitute. They don't, you know, so, you know, ask God to return you to sanity. And those tapes, you know, because I started practicing step two, and I trust that God will return me to sanity, those tapes are gone. I no longer think I'm stupid. I know that I'm not a prostitute. (laughs) And all those things, you know, because, you know, I trust that that, uh, that God will take care of me. So anyways, uh, even though I was feeling so bad about myself, I, I, um, in Alanon also says in, in the One Day at a Time book that, that uh, anything we let go has our claw marks on it, you know. So it's like, you can't go that far. <laughs> and so every time this guy went by, he, he had a lot of friends. And every time he went by, he, I, I had one friend now. And I, so I, was, I would throw kisses on him and then push my friend so he would think it was, it was my friend. You know, but he realized it was me. And one day I was at the park with this one friend, and there he was. You know, and my heart started going faster and faster. And and uh, he called me over, and I after we introduced ourselves, he said, "Would you like to go to a concert tonight?" Then I thought, I wonder what that is. And I said, "Sure, yeah." <laughs> And, and so it was 1975, and Bad Company was playing in San Diego. <laughs> I didn't know English, you know, I didn't know rock and roll. And, and so he came in to pick me up, and, and I got to sit next to him, and he had a little Nova and a big wheel, no, a little wheel. 
And and I got to sit next to him, and I looked in the back back seat, and there was a lot of people because he had a lot of friends, and they were piled up on top of each other. And then I go, and this is before the seatbelt laws, you know. <laughs> and I looked in the back, and I'm kind of, I thought, I wonder how they fit in there, you know. But I didn't think anything of it, and and then uh, I he put this eight-track player on the stereo, <laughs> and this loud music came out, and then people started smoking marijuana, and I remember taking a deep breath and thinking, oh, I'm back on my grandfather's lap, you know. <laughs> I just loved it. I got that sense of security. <laughs> I was in the hands of an addict. <laughs> and so, you know, I remember before coming to Ellen, and I used to blame the alcoholics in my life for the life that I had, but, you know, nobody put me in that car. My father was no longer in the picture, and why, why did I blame everybody else? You know, I was a volunteer. I stayed in the car. And, and so I remember they, they um, passed a joint, you know, when it came in front of me, and I said, oh, no, thank you. You know, but in my head I thought, I can roll in for you if you need help, you know. <laughs> I had years of experience <laughs> by that time, you know, but it was our first date, so I didn't do it, you know. But later on I did, I did, because uh, I couldn't believe they were using this machine, you know, this little rolling machine. It's like, I'm faster. <laughs> So um, we dated for two years, or in these two years, he tried to kill me a couple of times because he was high on acid. And I thought, you know, I, I remember thinking, this poor guy, his mom left him in the streets of Mexico when he was eight years old. So he grew up on the streets, and he just needs a little love, you know. But when we get married, I'm just going to love him enough that he's going to stop drinking. You know, he's, he is going to stop and, and so I was pregnant, and um, of course that never happened. I also thought, you know, we're going to live in a nice, nice place in Rancho Bernardo. It's a, you know, higher class uh, neighborhood. I don't know how these thoughts came to my head. But I thought, we're going to live in a nice neighborhood. We're going to play tennis in the weekend. <laughs> and then we're going to have two nice lowriders park outside, you know. <laughs> I, we never had a low rider. <laughs> we have never played tennis. <laughs> and, and so, anyways, um, we had a beautiful daughter. And, and I remember looking at my beautiful daughter. And, and we, I was just so in love with my husband. And, and I was so happy that finally we had this baby. And, and, and she looked just like him. You know, we named her Mirabella, which means look at the beauty. And and I remember looking at my daughter and thinking, you're part of him and I. You know, you are loved. You are loved. And I remember looking at my daughter and thinking and telling her, making a promise that, that I was going to take care of her, love her, protect her, and nothing ever was going to happen. Nothing bad was going to happen to her. And I meant it. I, I really meant it. But see, I didn't know that, I, that living with an alcoholic, I had become sick too. And, and so soon my whole concentration was on what my husband was doing, not doing, and how I could prevent him from doing whatever he was about to do. 
And, and I forgot about my daughter by this time. My sisters were already in the U.S. And, and my sisters had, some of them were married to people that were beating them up. Uh, some of them were drinking and using drugs. Some of them had joined gangs. My mom had a boyfriend now and she had another daughter. And it was just crazy. It was, life was out of control. And, 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 and the one that I loved the most, who was my husband, at that time, you know, was, uh, he was always in jail. He, you know, he was always getting drunk driving and, and he was always with his friends. And, and I remember looking at him and, and looking at me and, and living in that environment and thinking, how dare you think this guy loved you? You know, how dare you? You know, after all your, you know, those tapes again and, 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 um, and thinking, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing to live for. And, and I thought, you know, but I'm not gonna, because Al-Anons, you know, we don't give up easily. I started, um, I started cooking for him, not cooking for him. Sometimes, you know, waiting for him, and I remember waiting for him while he was um, he was out with his friend. We lived in this second-story building, and and I remember waiting and waiting and waiting for him with a sexy gown, and and then I would get so angry by three, four in the morning that instead of waiting with a with a sexy attitude, I would go to the kitchen door, grab a knife, and wait for him. You know. <laughs> And he, when he walked in, you know, I just wanted to kill him. You know, I wanted to stab him. And, and then his friends, because we always lived in neighborhoods where there was a lot of other alcoholics, somehow we kind of stick together just like we do in Allen and in AA, you know. So they, you know, the, the friends used to live downstairs and, and around the neighborhood. And, and while I was trying to kill my husband, the friends would come up and try to rescue him and say, Magdalena, leave him alone. And I remember with this knife screaming at them, if you don't leave, I'm going to kill you too. So they're like, okay, have him. <laughs> they would just leave. And so my husband's alcoholism progressed and, and uh, where he was now using heroin and he started shoplifting. I started shoplifting with him because after all, he needed a supportive wife, you know. And, and so um, I just wanted to be with him. I didn't care anything else. And and, uh, and nothing was working, nothing was working. And, and so I decided, well, I'm going to have another kid, you know, and this time it's going to be a boy, and I'm going to name him after him, and this time he's going to stop drinking. And I can believe I had the boy, and, and he continued to drink. And I thought, you know, you think that if, if you name your child after your your loving husband, alcoholic husband, he would stop drinking, right? It makes sense to me. But but no, of course that didn't happen and he continued to drink and and um now things were getting worse and then uh my husband and, and my and my um grandfather were getting high together. My mom and her new boyfriend were selling heroin to my husband and there was just no way out. How do you get out of that? How do you get out of that? I knew there was help for alcoholics, but I knew that there was no help for me because there was no help. I remember as a child going to church and thinking, you know, telling the father, the, the priest, 
you know, my, this is what happened at home, and my, hus- my father beat me up, so I beat up my sisters. And then the priest will tell me, get on your knees and pray. That didn't help. I was angrier. Then I thought, maybe if I go to a counselor, that will help. And then I thought, but people like me don't go to counselors because in my mind, people that went to counselors were those people that had boogers coming out of their nose <laughs> and saliva, you know. <laughs> and I looked in the mirror, there was a lot of things wrong with me, but there was no liquids coming out of my face, you know. <laughs> so I didn't belong there either. And one time, I was now driving, and, and I had this, these two little kids, and, and I got in the car, and I just wanted to die because there was no place for me. And I got in the car, and I was driving 100 miles or so an hour, and, and I was in the freeway, and, and I knew that, I, I just knew that if my life continued, I love those kids so much, and I just didn't know how to be a good mother. My kids scream, I, I beat them. I wasn't a good mother. You know, I, I had no patience. I, they cried. I cried with them because I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know other than, than hit them because that's what I learned. And, and I didn't want to do that. And I knew that if I continue, my kids were either, you know, become addicted or alcoholics or something, they will end up in jail, they will become gang members, and, and uh, there was just nowhere else to go and die, you know, nothing, nowhere else to go. And I got in a car and I put those two kids in the, in the back seat of the car and I was driving so fast and I just wanted to die and I said, God, if, there's a, if you're up there, please help me, help me stop because I just want to die. There's just nowhere else to go. And, and I was able to stop, and you know, when we ask God, God listens. It might take him a while, but he listens, he listens. And so during that time, my husband uh, the, was in jail again, and, and, and um, he went in front of the judge, and the judge said, well, you either go to treatment or you go, or you go into prison. And he said, I'll go to treatment. And that's when I was introduced to Alan. And he, you know, I, I went to the classes and they said, there is a program for you. <laughs> and I went to Alan and, and, and I went to my first meeting and I remember sitting there and I had, I still had the false pride. I'm better than you. You know, how could I be better? You know, I had, you know, we, we were, um, we had nothing. We had nothing. And, and uh, so I went to the meeting and I was sitting there and, and this really nice lady, she said, would you like to share? And because I had that false pride, I, I thought, you know, I don't think I belong here. I said, I'm, I'm, um, I don't have any alcoholics in my life. <laughs> I said, because I still think, I still thought that, uh, you know, addicts were higher class than alcoholics. So I thought, I said, my husband's a heroin addict. He's not an alcoholic. (laughs) And this really nice lady, she tapped me on the shoulder and said, dear, keep coming back, you know. (laughs) 
that time I thought, you know, I'm married to this hard dude who's got tattoos. He's, you know, he's a strong man. My sisters have really nice low riders. They're, they're in power. You know, they're gang members. And, you know, the false pride, they didn't even work. I don't know how they pay for their low riders, you know. So, anyways, um, and so I didn't come back to Al-Anon. And, during, and, and I left for another six months. And during this time, we got uh, evicted from our place. And my, my, after treatment, my husband started drinking again. And I, and I told him, you know, I know the problem is. I know the problem, what the problem is. The problem is your friends. If we move, to, if we move back to Mexico, we're going to be okay, and you're going to be away from your friends. At this time, I'm still an illegal immigrant, but I have learned a little bit of English where I can cross the border and say that I was a U.S. citizen. Sometimes they believe me, sometimes they didn't. And, and so, so we moved, I convinced him, and we moved to Tijuana during this. You know, when you live in Mexico, there's no water, there's... There's no green grass for the kids to play. My, I became vegetarian when I was 11 years old. So my kids were born vegetarian. There was not enough, there was no milk. There was not enough for them to, to eat. And, and, and my, my alcoholic husband didn't take him there. I took him there. You know, he was just so zoned out that he just wanted me to leave him alone. But then we moved to Tijuana and then he started, Drinking and, and using again, and, and I just thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So I decided to take karate classes, you know, because <laughs> he was going to, you know, he was pretty tall like, like I am too, so he was getting stronger than me, so I thought I'm just going to take karate classes. And, and so instead of waiting for him by the window, I remember I thought I had gained some, some type of serenity, and I will you know, lay on the bed, and as soon as he walked into the, to the house, I remember jumping up and going, ah, ah, you know, wanting to cut him in little pieces, and uh, of course that didn't work, you know, he continued to drink, and one day, uh, six months had gone by since my first meeting, and, and I remember driving that car, I, we had this little car, and, and, uh, and I was... Uh, driving about 140 miles a day to keep my husband away from his friends. Every morning, we got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I put my kids in the back of the trunk and drove to the U.S., work, and then go back home. And one day, I was doing the drive back home, and I remember looking at the right side, and there was my husband, and I thought, what? can I come up with now? I had run out of ideas. I didn't know what else to do. I, I, I just didn't know what to do. And I remember going to my first Allen and meeting, and, and I also look, remember looking at, the kid, at my kids in the back seat of the car, and there was two kids there, just sitting there, like no movement. They had no smile on their faces. You know, they looked like zombies. They were super thin, my daughter's face was right in front of her face, and she was this skinny, skinny kid. The kids didn't, you know, their, their eyes just looked so sad. And the poster of the car had been teared down. And then I thought, how did I get here? What happened? What happened 
with the promise that I made those kids that I was going to love them and take care of them. And I just didn't know what else to do. And I remember going to my first Al-Anon meeting, and it was in an Alano club. And at an Alano club, they had a lot of posters. You know, they had the steps, traditions, concepts, the slogans. And the only thing that stayed in my head on that day, on my first meeting, was keep coming back and first things first. First things first. And my kids were first at that moment. And on that moment, I made a decision to, to go back to Al-Anon. And, and let go of my husband. My husband went to prison, and I went to Allen. And this time I was ready to do anything the program told me to do because my ideas no longer worked. I was powerless. I was, I had no power, you know. And, uh, and I went to my meeting, my second meeting, and I remember sitting there. There was no Spanish meetings. And, and I remember sitting in the room, and, and I didn't know English and I so much appreciate you, Angelica, being here today because I know how hard it was walking into the first meeting and knowing that there was, I just could not go back. I wanted to leave. I love my kids. I just didn't know what to do with them. And so I, I went to that meeting and, and remember sitting there shaking. I was just shaking. I didn't want to get kicked out. And, and, I, and I just didn't know. And, and so... I I heard, yeah, I understood more there than I could speak. And I remember sitting in, in the room and hearing, get a sponsor, work the steps, um, do service, read the literature, and keep coming back. And, and so on my third meeting, I went up to this man, and, and I asked him if he will be my sponsor. And, and, uh, and so I asked him because... Because every time somebody shares, Ralph will look at the person and pay attention on what the person was saying. And, and um, you know, when we live in alcoholic homes, nobody listens to nobody. I remember talking with my husband or my sisters, and, and they just didn't understand. So I would talk a little louder and louder and louder, and pretty soon everybody was screaming. But when somebody shared, Ralph, look at the person and listen. And so after the meeting, on my third meeting, I went up to Ralph and said, will you be my sponsor? And, you know, when I came to Allenon, I had holes on my jeans. I had this great big jacket because I was so scared. I was shaking. I, I had my hair. My hair was long in my face. And my husband used to cut my hair while he was drunk because we didn't have money for the hairdresser. That's how I came to Allenon. And I went up to this man, and, and I didn't know Ralph was from England. And Ralph has a strong English accent. And here I am from Mexico. I can't speak English. And I went up. Uh, but, you know, Ralph has unconditional love that, that we so much talk about. Ralph's still my sponsor today. I talked to him this morning. Ralph and I have had a relationship of over 30 years because Ralph was willing to help somebody that needed help when anyone, anywhere reaches out for help. Let the hand of Alan and, and Alatin always be there. And, and Ralph was ready to, to help me. And so, so when I asked him, Ralph looked at me and she said, Magdalena, we'll give it a try. <laughs> And so Ralph and I started getting together at the park, and, and, 
And I remember bringing my kids to the park because I learned in Al-Anon that I, no longer, I could no longer leave my kids with the alcoholic because my kids were coming home with cigarette burns on their skin. My sisters were taking care of the kids. And I remember that denial thinking, you know, my sisters are not doing that. You know, they love my kids and my sisters did love my kids, but their disease was bigger than they were. And though my, my sisters were no longer in the picture, it was a disease. So I started bringing my kids to, to the, you know, to my meetings with, uh, with Ralph at the park. And, and I started going to step one, step two, step three, you know, finally got to step four. And, 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 uh, I started telling Ralph, you know, about those tapes in my head and, and how ugly I was, and oh my God, all the sickness stuff. And uh, and Ralph, remember, I remember we because we met at the park. Ralph said, "Well, you know, Magdalena, do you see that bird up there?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "What do you think of that bird?" It was a crow. And and I said, "Well, it's beautiful." And and Ralph said, "Do you think that bird gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says, you 'You're too dark, you're too ugly, you know, your feathers are out of place.'" <laughs> said, "No, that bird gets up in the morning and goes and does God's will. That's what we do in life, Magdalena. We don't worry about anything." He also said, "He also said, Magdalena, if we all look the same." This will be a pretty boring life, don't you think? You know, we are all children of God, he said. We do not judge the children of God, and that includes you. So you need to stop calling yourself names. And my good friend Bill always reminds me not to call myself stupid. (laughs) And uh, thank God, you know, for people, loving people that are not afraid to tell us what we're doing wrong. And, and so I always enjoy exercising and, and I remember taking, you know, going for a run and before, be, before Alan and I remember thinking, oh my God, you're so slow. Look at the guy pass you again. But now because my sponsor told me I couldn't tell myself, I couldn't call myself names and I remember somebody passing me and my feelings were getting hurt, you know, <laughs> and I, I, instead of, calling myself bad names, I started singing to myself, pretty woman, running down the street. So I started standing taller, you know, looking at people on the eye. Ross told me, in the eyes of God, Magdalena, we're all the same. We're all equal. Nobody's more than another person. We're all equal. God loves us all the same. And, and, and so... I trusted Ralph, and I trust the program, and, and, and so he said I could do anything, everything was possible, and, and so because I knew the Spanish community needed a lot of help, and, and so I knew my family needed help, and, and I, this was the answer to all of our problems. So I started meetings in Spanish, hoping my family will come, but they never came, they still haven't, you know. <laughs> I... Um, I also there was uh, no Alatin meeting, so so I started meetings in uh, Alatin meetings in English and Spanish. I became so involved in service. I love service, you know. I love excitement. When I before Alan and I remember, every once in a while I will get deported, 
you know, I'm illegal, get deported, that's normal. You know, so I remember standing on the, on the fence and, and, uh, and I would look on both sides. And, and if I didn't see any border patrol officers, I would run and run and run to the other side. And if I didn't get arrested, I would get disappointed and go back and do it over again, you know. <laughs> I love excitement. Thank God for service. You know, service gives me, <laughs> service keeps me very excited. You know, I just love service. So, I didn't know what to do with those kids. And, uh, and I would go to my meeting and ask my friends, I don't know what to do with my kids. I know I can't hit them. And my Alanon friends would tell me, well, Magdalena, what you do with your kids, you know, after you get out from work and, and you pick them up, say, you take them for a walk, you feed them, you take them for a walk, you help them with their homework, you give them a bath, you put them in bed, you read, read something to them, and then you go to bed and you read something for, your, for you, you know, for you. And in the, just for today, Alan on pamphlet, it says that just for today I will not be a mental loafer. So every day I read something useful. And, and that's what I, my husband got out of prison. He came home and that's what I was doing when he came, you know, he had been home, but he came home and said, if you don't do A, B, and C, I'm going to go out and get drunk. And then I, I said to him, well, Make sure you lock the door on your way out. You know, I have learned. <laughs> I had learned about detaching, detachment without beating him up, you know. <laughs> detachment with love. <laughs> he decided that instead of um, going to get drunk, he decided to go to an AA meeting. And today he's been sober for 30 years. <laughs> Carlos and I have been through a journey in life. You know, last weekend or last week we celebrated 37 years of marriage. I am just so grateful without this program, I wouldn't be with him. Many times, uh, you know, his AA friends just love him, just love him. And many times I can't stand him. <laughs> He's not the nicest alcoholic sometimes. <laughs> And I, and I think, you know, I wonder what alcoholics see on him, because they like him, so he must have something good, you know. <laughs> but of course, that's when I feel critical, and I'm not working a good program, because Alan tells me I need to concentrate on me. Anything that is over my nose is none of my business, you know. Carlos is doing the best he can, and God loves him, you know, I know he does. So, anyways, um... So it was 1990, and the international convention was gathering together. I mean, it was happening in Seattle, and people from all over the world were coming to Seattle. And I told Carlos, why don't we go to, to Seattle? Uh, why don't we go to the international? And he said, well, yeah, sure, we can go. Our kids were now involved in Alatine, and, and they were busy learning about their lives. Uh, I, I remember asking my kids for their help, I said, can you tell me when I'm screaming? Because I can't, you know, I'm used to screaming all the time. So 
Can you tell me if I'm talking out loud? In, 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 um, and so the kids had learned so well in Alatin that every time I would be screaming, they would say, Mom, you're screaming. It's like, oh, thank God we help one another. It doesn't matter, you know, what age. So, so our kids were in Alatin. We got them out of that convention, and, and we um, came to Seattle. We felt in love with the city. And after, you know, we went home, uh, we decided to move to Seattle. And, and what happens when we stop bailing the alcoholic out of jail, there's money, okay? So we were able to buy a nice house, a nice condominium, a nice trailer, a nice boat, things that we dreamed of, now we had, you know. But we didn't care anything we, for material things because the spirituality and the fellowship that we have in the program is the most important thing, and we follow our hearts. So what we decided to do, we went home, sold everything, and moved to Seattle and moved into a one-bedroom apartment because we knew God was in Seattle, just like he's here in Nashville. And, and so we, we moved to Seattle, and Carlos used to make elevators. Now he was cleaning elevators at, at, um, at the airport. I... I left my factory job, and I went to work at a Denny's restaurant. I went to the local intergroup office, and I said, do you have any service for me? Because I know I can't keep it unless I give it away. I need to stay in service. And again, a really nice lady said, keep coming back so we can get to know you better. <laughs> and and I did. I, I went back. Um, I, I went to... Um, I, there was this man answering the phones at the local intergroup office, and, and I said, I'm looking for a home group. And he said, he circled, and the, you know, his name was Ted. He died with 44 years in the program. He circled a rent on Thursday night meeting, and he said, this is the best meeting <laughs> around here. So I went to that Thursday night meeting. That's my home group. The rent on Thursday night meeting is one of those groups that – when Lois, when when um, Lois uh, and and her friend, oh my gosh, what's her name? Ann B. Ann B. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, so when Ann B. and and Lois sent a hundred Allen groups or Allen family groups was registering with the alcoholic with Alcoholics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous said, we don't want you. <laughs> You're not an alcoholic. You need to register your own groups. And so Bill came to, to Lois and said, can you start Al-Anon? Can you start a group for families? And Lois was, I think she was 60-something. And Lois said, you know, I've been homeless for a long time. <laughs> I'm enjoying my garden. So I just want to enjoy life today. And he said, but thank God, thank God, you know, that Lois agree and in her and her friend and B got together and sent I think about a hundred letters to all the registered groups uh with the AA uh to the Allen family groups and in um eighty seven of those groups responded saying yes we want to be part of Allen and family groups and we want to adopt the the traditions and the steps um, as part of our, our AA's traditions and steps as part of our fellowship. And, and my home group is one of those groups. So last, let's see, on June, we celebrated uh, 63 years uh, in, you know, in the program. So anyway, I'm very honored. So 
I started going to that group, and, and um, if you're ever in the Seattle area, we meet every Thursday at 7.30, and it's, uh, we're about 20 minutes south of Seattle. I, um, my daughter got busy with Alana, with a Alatine, and then something happened to her. She, she started looking different. My daughter was so active in Alatine, she was going to, um, you know, speaking in Alaska, speaking in the local schools, and, and my husband was in AA, very active, and, and we were the happy family, and, and then my daughter started looking different. She started coming home with bruises on her arms, and, and the beautiful, tall girl that she had become, you know, she started looking sick, and I just could not understand what was going on with her because she was active in Alatine, but but her sponsors knew, but, you know, we have this great thing about anonymity that none of them told me what was going on. We found out that she was drinking, and I remember when I found out, I got so mad at God. I got so mad, and I screamed at God and say, how dare you give me an alcoholic daughter after all the service work I have done, you know? <laughs> I called Ralph and I said, my daughter's drinking. And, and uh, Ralph said, well, you know, Magdalena, God loves alcoholics too. And I'm sure he wants your daughter to learn something. And so that's when my daughter's journey began to in and out of treatment. We asked her, if you need help, you know, you're a daughter. We love you. We'll take you to treatment. And so she went to treatment, came out, started drinking again, and did this several times. I learned in Al-Anon that the more I help an alcoholic, the, quick, the, more, the quicker I help them to kill themselves. And I knew I had done that with my husband, and I wasn't willing to do that with my daughter. So what I learned in Al-Anon, and, and then my daughter was coming home and telling my son, if you don't drink with me, you're not a man. So she was not practicing Tradition 1. You know, Tradition 1 talks about unity. She was not part of the unity. And in Alan and I learned that, again, you know, that there is a God and he's greater than I am. And, and so my husband and I, we started having problems because when alcoholism gets in the middle and we allow the disease to separate a family, it's, it's not healthy for anyone. So... We had to ask our daughter to leave the house, and and um, and I also learned in Al-Anon that if I if I trust God with with my kids, if I trust God with anything, I will trust them with my kids. And I remember in in the Al-Anon literature, it also talks in in one of our readings that we can put our kids in the hands of God. And so I put my daughter in the hands of God. And in the hands of God, there's blankets, you know, there's food, there's everything she needs. And I knew my daughter was going to be okay. And if my, God, my daughter was to die because of this disease, she would be with God. And can she be in better hands than in the hands of God? I don't think so. At least for me, I don't think so. And, and so... So we had to ask her to leave, and, and my daughter became homeless, and, and every once in a while she would come home and ask for help, and we would once again take her to treatment, and then again, same thing. You know what happens with kids that grow up in an alcoholic home, or in, I'm sorry, in a 
Home of Recovery, they are very smart kids, very smart. They know all the language. They know all of the steps. They know what to use against themselves, unfortunately. And, and so she was going to the counselor saying, I'm just not drinking today. <laughs> I'm not drinking one day at a time. You know, God is in charge and all, those, all the beautiful language of love that we have. And, and, and so, but she was killing herself. And one day she came home and said, Mom, I need to go to treatment. And I said, no, don't go to treatment. I said, you go to AA, you get a sponsor, work the steps, and you're going to be okay. Because I know AA works. I know it does. And my daughter looked at me, and she had been drinking, and she got really close to me. And, and she said, Mom, don't you understand I can't stop drinking? And when my daughter talked to me, you know, her breath smells just like my father's breath. You know, the one that I hated so much on my father, my daughter had it. And I said to her, no, I don't understand how powerful, how the power of the disease of alcoholism in another person. I said, but I knew that AA could. And, and I said, you know, if you, go to, if you want to go to treatment, I'll take you to treatment. So it was on a November weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, and my husband and I wrapped our daughter in a blanket because she was our baby. She was our baby, and we put her in the, again in the backseat of the car because she was so fra- fragile. And we put her in the backseat of the car, and we took her to Spokane, Washington, which is usually five hours. It took us six or seven and, and we took her once again in the hands of God in a treatment program. In that treatment program, they took her to a Native American meeting. The Native American meeting needed a coffee person. She knew all about service. You know, she's been in Alatin. And, and so she became the coffee person. And today, because the grace of God in Alcoholics Anonymous, she has been sober for 20 years. I'm just so grateful. I am so grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous that you have given me my family back. I love, I, I, I love my daughter. I love my husband, and, and I have him because of you. I also, um, we still have a little boy at home, you know, that um, he went through a lot with my daughter. But, he, you know, after 10 years of Alatine, he said, he said, Mom, I think I'm cured. I'm well, you know. <laughs> I no longer need alatine. And I said, that's fine. Um, My daughter, by the way, she got married to the guy of her dreams. Uh, He was also sober. Unfortunately, he relapsed. And after two years of marriage, they had a beautiful daughter. Solana is her name. And after two years, she said, she told him, you know, I love you, but I love my sobriety and my daughter more. And she walked out of the marriage just like that, you know. She didn't take karate classes or bell, <laughs> nothing. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> she's now married and, uh, and has another, she's got two more kids and she seems to be happy. You know, she's, you know, she sometimes, sometimes she walks and the butterflies follow her. <laughs> She's so beautiful. And then another time, it's like, my God, who is that woman? 
But, you know, God is in charge. And, and our son, he's grew up with, like I said, with the program of, uh, of the 12 steps. And is that my sign, Lee? Okay, my son, I'll hurry up in this, with this story. When my son was about 15 years old, he, he had this girlfriend and they adopted a cat. I hate cats. And, and uh, when they broke up, he gained custody of that cat, so he brought the cat home. And, uh, and I was, uh, one day I was having an Al-Anon relapse. You know, I was getting into his business. You know, this kid is a wonderful kid. He never misses school. He's, he's just a great kid. And uh, very organized, everything. He does everything well. And, um, and but this day he had a, his room was messy. You know, Tradition 10 tells us that we don't get in outside issues. His room is an outside issue. I, you know, I was looking for controversy. And, and so I went to, you know, I wrote him a nasty note saying, if you don't clean your room, I'm going to throw your cat away. So <laughs> he wrote another nasty note back saying, Mom, I'm cleaning my room one day at a time, you know, so I'm not all the way done yet. Then he had the audacity to put the triangle with the circle. <laughs> he put A.A. Allen on, keep coming back, it works. You know? um, P.S. in Spanish, leave my cat alone, you know. So when he went away to the university, I got stuck taking care of the cat, you know. Today, but I introduced him to the outside world, and he's a happy cat now. <laughs> he graduated from the university. He's got a great job. Um, he travels all over the world because he enjoys life. Uh, on Wednesday, every Wednesday, we have dinner together. Family has a dinner together. It's very important for him and for my daughter. And, and so every Wednesday, he, you know, he comes home, and, and, uh, and on Wednesday, he dropped us off at the at the airport, and he's got a Jeep with the top down, and, and, uh, and I was sitting in the back seat of the car of the Jeep with the, all the suitcases, and, and he was taking us to the airport, and, and, uh, and he said, and I was just feeling so grateful, so happy, and, and he said, Mom, I'm going to, he said, I need to go buy a shirt because I'm going to a birthday party, and then I said, whose birthday party? He said, it's, the, it's America's birthday. So, so I said, okay, wonderful. You know, because of Ralph, I became a U.S. citizen. Ralph told me, Magdalena, this is a, an honest program. You need to become legal. And, and Ralph understood that because he was from England. And, and so I, I became, uh, you know, a U.S. citizen. I have taught my kids to love this country because it's what has given us what we have today. Um, I, Ralph told me to go to school. I decided, you know, one day I look at my resume. I had been a waitress, housekeeper, you know, all the stuff, dishwasher. And Ralph told me, you need to go to school. And, and I decided to, to go to school. And in 1999, I graduated with a four-year college degree. You know, thank you. Today I work for the state of Washington as a parole officer. You know? <laughs> I don't know, God is funny. I don't know how we get here. <laughs> I, I, you know, I send people to AA. You know? I, other, I also send them to other programs. Yeah, um, if they don't go, I have no problem facing, letting them face the consequences of their actions. You know? 
I take people to jail often, you know. <laughs> I also, um, let's see, um, my job can be dangerous sometimes because we go into, you know, we do warrants with, we serve warrants. We go into dark rooms with, with people who are just totally drunk or high. I, um, it can be dangerous, you know, people like, uh, somehow alcoholics like it all dark, you know. <laughs> and they don't like the lying. And, and so um, they have weapons and everything. And so I, I, I call Rob and I said, Rob, my job can be dangerous. I pull out all these weapons and everything. I, I said, I think I need to be armed. And, and I said, but in order to be armed, I need to pass a psychological evaluation. And I said, but I think I'm kind of crazy. I don't know if I'll pass it. And, and when Rob said, well, Magdalena, if God wants you to have a gun, you will. You know, so today I'm an armed officer. <laughs> I call Rob and I said, Rob, I know, I'm sorry, I call my sisters and I say, guess what? I have a gun. <laughs> and I guess my sisters go, is your husband going to be okay? <laughs> they don't understand recovery. You know, today I'm still in service. I love service. I love Al-Anon. If I want something, you know, I got to be part of the solution. I became the delegate for the state of Washington. I'm panel 50. And today I am serving as a chair, uh, as a sh- the chair officer of my area. I, I, like I said, I love Al-Anon. I love service. I love my friends that they have entrusted me with, with you know, with voting for the for entire state is it's just a great honor, just like it's a great honor to be here today. I'm going to end with this little story. Um, when I was a little girl, I remember going to the beach and uh, going under the wave and hoping that I will come out on the other side and there will be there will be another world, you know, where there was love, there was laughter, there was joy, and, and people understood one another. People helped one another. But I will come out on the other side, and there was nothing. I had a lot of belt marks on my skin and, and open wounds, and the salt water hurts. And I will come out and nothing. Today, because of the program and all of you, I feel that I have come out on, on the other side, and I have found all of you. Thank you so much for my life. God bless you.